So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see a five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On the Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green, and welcome to On the Cusp. This week, my guest is Jen D'Angelo. She's an improviser on the UCB mess hall team, Burger Face. She's a writer on the UCB sketch team, New Money. And she's been a staff writer for shows like Cougar Town, The Millers, and Golan the Insatiable. A quick reminder that On the Cusp is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you like the show, you should consider subscribing to it. Also, if you really like the show, then it would be awesome if you would rate the show on iTunes. This episode is sponsored by Thai Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue in Los Angeles. Now offering more fried delicacies than ever. Fried tofu, fried shrimp, even fried wontons. All for under $7. Thai Pepper, the pep perfect way to spend a pep perfect night. It's Thai Pepper. So one of my favorite things that I learned about Jen D'Angelo when I interviewed her was that she was a natural born writer. And back in middle school and elementary school, when she would be given a creative writing assignment, she would always way overdo it. It might be like an assignment to write a two-page paper about a family pet, but she would end up writing a manifesto. That's not the way I was. And even though I've ended up out here in Los Angeles trying to make it as a writer, back when I was in elementary school and middle school, I dragged my feet through every writing assignment I did and just basically tried to bullshit my way through all of it. I thought it might be fun to read a story that I wrote when I was in seventh grade uh, while Jen D'Angelo was working on her novellas. Um, This was what I was working on. That kind of speaks to the kind of writer I was. It's a safe bet that I probably had around two weeks to do this assignment and that I did it at the absolute last minute. The story is titled My Monkey and Me, and again, it was written in seventh grade. The year was 1999, and the place was Los Angeles, California. I was but a lad of 12 years, and the thing I wanted most in the whole world was a pet monkey. Yes, I wanted more than anything, a pet monkey. So one rainy Thursday morning, my whole family got in our rented car, and we went to a little place called Monkey Town, USA, the place for all your monkey needs. Well, I looked at the furry brown fur balls, and they all looked good, but there was one monkey who stood out. He was about two foot three and was wearing a little baseball hat for the New York Yankees, and he was carrying a small sign that read, Can't sleep. Clowns will eat me. I was in love! I knew this was the monkey for me, so we bought him. He cost about $300 with all his stuff. On the taxi ride home, I named him James James, the monkey so nice they named him twice. When we got home, I took JJ out of his cage. The first thing he did was scratch his head as if to say, What? His next action was to put out his hand, so I put out my hand to shake, of course, but then he pulled back his hand in an Andy Kaufman manner. The monkey stood there and chortled, pointing at me with such gusto as if saying, Who's the monkey now? Well, I was amazed at his human-like nature and laughed right along with him. He then put out his hand again, and this time, I was the one to pull my hand back. The monkey stood there in a stupor and seemed to be lamenting. The monkey raised his head with a sullen look and put out his hand once more to say, Truce. 
Well, I fell for it. I tried to shake again, but the monkey just ripped his hand away and hit the floor crazily laughing. He then got up and jumped on my shoulders. We played in this incessant manner for the rest of the day, and I knew this was the beginning of a beautiful animal-human relationship. The end. So, uh, rereading that story, I, I feel pretty proud that as a seventh grader, I already knew what the key elements of a good story were. You want to have a protagonist with a strong want. You want to have a friendship developing between an unlikely pair. And most of all, you want to have pages and pages about uh, handshake fakeouts. But enough of this monkey business. Uh, let's turn now to my interview with somebody who was a way better writer than me when she was in middle school. My friend, Jen D'Angelo. Okay, if you could choose between having the power to fly for a month and getting to create your own show <laughs> that was going to, you were guaranteed at least two seasons on Netflix. Oh my God. Yeah, that. <laughs> Which you, that? <laughs> yeah. Over having the power to fly for a month. Yeah, I thought you were going to be like, <laughs> would you choose the power to fly for a month or like be able to create your own show, but it doesn't. It does, like, three episodes and then gets canceled. No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Two seasons on Netflix, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but flying is, like, a really magical thing <laughs> to have happen. Like, I'm not saying that in the world that you fly, like, you can't still make <laughs> deals. <laughs> I would still take the Netflix deal. <laughs> this guarantee not. Okay. Have you asked this question to other people? No. Okay, I was going to say, like, does everyone say fly? Uh, yeah, I would. I, would, I think I... But if, I guessed that you were going to say fly. Really? Uh-huh. I feel like there are going to be enough advancements in my lifetime that I will experience the feeling of flight in a decent enough simulation that I don't need to wow. do Wow. So I think, has flying not been a thing that you've really <laughs> wanted that much? I guess not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that Netflix series you really want. That, I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I feel like creating a show is, like, such a feat. Like... Selling a pilot is, like, such an amazing feat. And then getting the pilot shot, such an incredible feat. And then getting on the air is, like, an even crazier incredible feat. And then lasting is insane. So to be like, yeah, you got two seasons <laughs> on Netflix, like, very prestigious, I'd be like, yeah, great. That's a, it's a little discouraging that you think that it's... <laughs> <laughs> the part of your thinking is that it's kind of likely that you'll feel the experience of yeah. flying more likely <laughs> than getting than my out own that dream situation. Yeah. Oh man, this is just super depressing. <laughs> but I feel like don't you feel like we'll eventually have like recreational like jetpacks? <laughs> e yes. Like eventually. I do. I do. I just think that's so different from like Actually, just, just being like, able to Superman fly. Flying. Yeah. Like it, with your jetpack, you're charging it for a while. You're right, yeah. There's um, a lot of, like, you and, can pay a waiver, I bet. And <laughs> I think, yeah. a waiver and pay a fee. <laughs> There's always a lot of danger involved. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think it feels like you've got, like, a mini plane on your back. Yeah. 
it's not going to feel cool. But what would you... Maybe my imagination's just not big enough. What would I do with flight? Yeah. Like the regular flight? Yeah. Feel like a bird? Yeah. Um, I feel like I would enjoy it for like five minutes and I'd be like, I don't want people to think I'm like a freak. <laughs> I don't want to you're, talk about this. You're right. Animal. You're right. The second you start flying for that month, you're like <laughs> having spent all your time on 2020 and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Discussing your power. Yeah. I also feel like kids' movies of, like, our generation taught us that, like, if you have anything remotely fantastical about you, like, the government will take you away <laughs> and experiment on you. So that's what's going to happen. But you're not, like, really taking into consideration all the prodding that you get when you have two seasons on Netflix. That's true, yeah. I mean, that also, you have to go in 2020 <laughs> you have to do a lot of interviews. Yeah. <laughs> uh so you were born in Philadelphia originally? Yeah, uh, the suburbs, yeah. Um, and I grew up there in the same house. <laughs> well, what were your parents like? Um, my parents are... My dad um, is a lawyer, and he's like very... Uh, like, I don't know. He's really hard to describe because he's like kind of super conservative. <laughs> uh, like... like- he voted for McCain, maybe? Yeah. Uh, but, and also just, like, kind of, like, socially conservative a little bit, but also not. Like, he, in college, like, he was a theater major, um, and he did, like, lights for, like, concerts that would come through Charlottesville, and the, he went to the University of Virginia, and he, like, would hang lights for, like, the Beach Boys or something. <laughs> so he was, like, doing work with, like, I don't know, like, cool, like, rock stuff and, like, doing theater stuff. Uh, so he has, like, an artistic side. And had to have been around, like, a lot of gay people. Yeah, then. yeah, And his, like, best friend, like, our, like, uncle, who's not an uncle, you know, uh, he's gay. And so we grew up with, like, this gay best friend always hanging around. Uh, so it's, like, yeah, it's super weird. He's a, he's a weird bird. But- <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, is it... But you said it, it, he is a little socially conservative. Yeah, well, just... What does that mean for him? I don't know. I'm kind of learning... My sister is getting married in June, and so the conservative streak is, like, kind of coming out with this wedding where I'm a little bit like, wait, what? Where my dad is, like, very adamant that they get married, like, in a church, like, uh, officiated, like, by the reverend of the church. Uh, yeah, like, weird stuff like that where it, like, comes out in very weird ways. I don't know. It's so hard to describe. How, how Christian-raised were you growing up? So that's the other weird thing. <laughs> we were, like, raised... Uh, we went to, like, an Episcopalian school, and Episcopalianism... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how the noun form of it. Um, it's, like, very watered down, kind of. Like, it. it's a very, like, chill religion <laughs> uh, or form of Christianity. So it never felt like super intense but we would go to church like pretty regularly um but I don't know it it was never I don't know it's really strange but I just found out that my dad like still goes to church every Sunday which was very surprising to me because it always felt like the church part of my family was more like a social thing of Uh like we have all these friends that (laughs) no we just see them on Sunday mornings you kind of thought it was like no big deal yeah I thought it was no big deal at all (laughs) Because uh, we never really talked about it. I guess we would, like, sometimes say grace before dinner, but there was never, like, a, 
a thing of like, well, what would God say about that? Like, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And they also, yeah, it's so weird. Cause I also in high school dated like a super, super Christian guy. Uh, and my parents have kind of made comments since I broke, like right after I broke up with them, they kind of were making comments of like, well, he was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> they have like a delineation of, yeah, I don't know. There's an exact right amount of Christianity <laughs> yeah. to feel. They understand that people can take it like way too far. Um, but, but they want yeah. your sister to get married in a church. Yeah, which is also crazy because my sister went through like a new age, like a Christianity kick in high school uh, where she and I went to like a Bible study camp on Martha's Vineyard that was like, <laughs> very fun uh but also like really intense and so intense that I was like this is not for me like I can't do this uh but my sister was like really into this like new form of Christianity uh and taking it really seriously and then in college she was like a religious studies major um but then somewhere in college it just kind of like dropped off and now she's marrying this guy who's like not very religious and they were like we want our friend to officiate it we want it to be outside like she's very now like uh, like hippie-ish. Uh, wow. So yeah, it's like the exact opposite fight they're having than you would expect them to have based <laughs> on our upbringing. Yeah. And what was your mom like? My mom, uh, was a teacher for a really long time. And then she, uh, she's like an artist. Uh, like she is a singer. Um, and she, when I was in high school, went back to college to get her master's in music therapy. Um, <clears throat> so she was doing, like, a lot of, like, drum circles. <laughs> and, like, uh, she would, like, go to uh, schools and teach autistic kids, like, how to drum. Um, because I guess, like, sometimes with autism, like, people, they'll get really frustrated with themselves and, like, hit themselves. So she was teaching them how to, like channel that into drumming that's so cool um which is really cool yeah uh she is like since she's had like a million different careers because <laughs> uh, she was doing that for a while and then kind of backed off that um and sort of like eased into retirement where she was just like part-time selling chocolates <laughs> um and then i think got really bored of that and now is kind of sort of easing back into music therapy um but yeah she enjoys like playing music and doing stuff. Your mom and your dad kind of sound like, just from this description, like Dharma and Greg. <laughs> yeah, I'm realizing that. Um, um, how, how did they meet originally? They were set up on a blind date. Um, they went to see, I can't remember what it was, I think it, I want to say it was Annie. They like went to go see Annie <laughs> with their uh, friends who were dating or married at the time. <laughs> the perfect date. The perfect date. Um... Because my mom, my dad was living in Philadelphia, and my mom was living in Virginia, um, but her friend, like, convinced her to come up to Philadelphia, so she went up, and they went to see Annie, I think, <laughs> uh, had a great time, and then they, I know that their, like, first actual date where they went out just then was to go see Airplane, which I feel like is, like, a, a good example of them. Yeah. that they just love airplanes. <laughs> you think that speaks to who they are? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They love it so much and they quote it all the time. 
but they're still very Jarma and Greggy. You think your dad was, like, attracted to your mom for, like, the yin and yang kind of thing of it, or? I don't know. Yeah, it's so hard to figure out. They're, like, the weirdest people. Because <laughs> even though my mom is, like, very, uh, you know, like, Dharma-y, uh, she's still, like, I don't know. The Like, my parents are super waspy, both of them. Uh, they're, like, equally waspy. Uh, but my mom just has this, like, weird artistic streak that somehow fits it. I don't know. They're the weirdest. <laughs> Anything else that like, you can give, like, an ex- as an example from your childhood of them being really weird people? Yeah. Oh, man. The description of my parents that I, like, always kind of point to, although I hesitate to do it now because it's, like, super unflattering because it makes us seem like we're just, like, uh, super wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents one time came home on a Saturday afternoon. I, like, woke up late on a Saturday morning in high school, and they weren't there. And I was like, oh, whatever. And, uh, like, two of my friends came over, and we were just hanging out. And my parents came back in, and my mom was wearing, like, a full, like, a style. She was so styled in, like, sundress and sun hat. My dad was wearing, like, pink pants and, like, a navy blazer and, like, a Vineyard Vines tie. And they just came back in, and we were like, where were you? And they were like, we were at the horse races in Ravner. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they do stuff like that. Uh, but then they also, like, my mom on Thanksgiving is always trying to get, like, jam sessions going with our whole family, uh, which I, like, hate. <laughs> like, everybody playing music together? Yeah, she's always like, everyone gather on the piano. Like, I'm going to play the piano, and everyone's going to sing <laughs> and, like, play drums and stuff. Uh yeah, they're super weird. I guess the other, like, weird anecdote that's very indicative of my dad is that he hasn't worn a t-shirt since he was 17. It's all been button-downs? Button-downs and polo shirts. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I feel like that's the, that's the level that they're at. That piano thing makes it sound like you have, like, a very close-knit family. Sort of. Yeah. It's weird because, like, my family, uh, I'm the youngest of four, and my sister is, like, super music-y and super, like, hippie and open, and so, like, she and my mom are, like, like, she'll do, like, a jam session with my mom, uh, and then my oldest brother is, like, not, he's the one person in the family that's, like, not artistically inclined at all. Um, we saw him in college, we saw him... Uh, in a performance of Uncle Vanya in a lecture hall and it was like the worst thing of all time he was horrible and so he was, like, he was it. trying it though yeah he tried it and was like this is the worst and we were like yeah that was awful uh, <laughs> and so then he never did it again but uh, he will like put up with it like if they're doing like a jam session thing like he'll like sit in there and kind of like listen or whatever um, to an extent and then my other brother and I are super like uh we're, like, sarcastic assholes, and we, like, are so, like, self-conscious. We're, like, we're not going to be in a jam session, and we'll, like, go sit in another room. And then my dad will, like, float back and forth between the two rooms, just being, like, is everyone having fun? Oh, um, that's sweet. So, yeah, we're, like, a weird, uh, weird family with, like, <laughs> split down the middle. <laughs> How do you think being the youngest affected you? Um, I feel like, yeah, I've never really looked into, like, I feel like there's a million think pieces written on, like, why the youngest, or why, like, a weird percentage of comedians are, like, the youngest children, 
uh, I feel like I've seen articles and not clicked on them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's You, you like, just don't want to know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it happened. Um, so what kind of kid were you like, like um, from one to ten-ish? I was super weird. Um, I... <laughs> what does super weird mean? Um, so in my elementary school, like, every grade, you would write a story, and then the moms would, like, bind it in a book for you. So you had this little, like, uh, book that was, like, they would type up your handwritten stories and, like, try to make it look like this really cool book that you made, and you would illustrate it, and it was really cool. Um, and I, like, took that, like, way further than everybody (laughs) else, and in second grade, uh, people would just write, like, you know, two-page, like, handwritten stories or whatever, and I sat down on a weekend and just typed, like, a nine-page story about my dog, (laughs) uh, and turned it into my teacher, and they were like, this is insane. (laughs) Make a book out of this. Uh, I I don't have time to read this. Yeah. I'm a second-grade teacher. I'm really busy. Um, But that was kind of the beginning of, like, my, like, young writing career, because then, from then on, like, all my teachers were like, oh, well, you're the writer, and they would, like, um, I don't know, every time there was, like, a creative writing assignment, they would kind of, like, make a big deal out of it for me. Um, and then in fifth grade, I think it was, I wrote a Halloween story, um, and they were like, oh, you wrote another one of your stories, like, you can read it to the class. And I had literally just written it because I saw, uh, Scream. Um, one of my older siblings, like, had a VHS of Scream, and I was home alone for, like, a couple hours on a Saturday, uh, and I was like, I'm gonna watch it, and I put it in, and I got so scared, like, so (laughs) horrifically scared by it that I couldn't sleep, uh, and I eventually convinced myself that I, like, that it was just a story, and so I could write a story like it, and then I wouldn't be scared of it, because I would know how fake it was. Good idea. So I wrote, like, a really fucked up, like, (laughs) really crazy story about a ghost that, like, comes back and just, like, kills a bunch of high school teenagers, (laughs) and they didn't read it before, they were like, you could just read it to the class, so I read it out loud to the class one day, and people, like, liked it, and, like, it was not a huge deal. Like, I feel like if you did that today, it would be like, that kid is going to be taken out of school. Like, there's going to be <laughs> right. crazy meetings. But, like, they literally made, like, an author of the month plaque for me and just, like, put that up. And then no one else wrote a story after that. So I was just author of the month for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, everyone was too intimidating. Yeah, everyone was like, she'll kill us. <laughs> um, but it was, like, this weird thing where then, like, people kept talking about it. And then the next year... I wrote a sequel and, like, read that to my, like, sixth grade class. Oh, man. Or fifth grade class or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, it was, like, this weird thing. And then uh, people... There were definitely some teachers who were, like, that girl's, like, super weird. I remember <laughs> someone telling me once that I was walking through the library and they heard a librarian be like, that kid writes the saddest stories. <laughs> <laughs> so there were definitely people who thought I was insane. Uh... But then when I was in sixth grade, I started writing uh, for, like, for chapel. We would do, like, skits sometimes. So I then started writing, like, sketches for chapel. So it turned into comedy writing instead of, like, horror murder writing. That's young to be writing sketches. Yeah, well, I like... Yeah. (laughs) Can you remember what any of your skits were? I remember one from eighth grade pretty clearly... 
Or no. It might have been seventh grade. But I wrote like a a fairy tale thing where it was like a young prince had to go on a quest for some reason uh, to save a princess. And like he went to three princesses and they were all like really annoying. And so he didn't want to save them. <laughs> like, it's kind of a weird story. Uh, but yeah, that was like the one that I really remember vividly for some reason because we wanted the princesses to be played by teachers so we asked these three science teachers to like play these princesses in drag um, uh. and then uh, they eventually decided that drag was uh, too risque uh-huh. uh, so they were not allowed to be a drag and I got really upset and like uh, was like well this isn't fair like this is my vision is that it's the science teachers in drag you guys don't get this comedy <laughs> yeah you guys don't get it uh, but yeah so I remember like Picking a little fight. And then um, I played uh, the prince's, like, dragon friend, uh, who was just, like, basically, like, Donkey from Shrek. I feel like I probably just ripped off Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah. I remember also improvising a line in that because uh, I had broken my wrist, so I had a cast on, and... uh, I, like, improvised a line about why I had a cast, and it was, like, that I got really excited because I heard an ice cream truck, and I ran after it and just ran into the street and got hit by a car, <laughs> and I remember people laughing at that. Can you, like, like, what yeah. kind of voice were you using for this character? Can you, like... Uh, oh, man. I feel like... I was, like, such a weird mix of self-conscious and not self-conscious. I feel like it was probably my voice. <laughs> Yeah. Like, because I didn't so want to like be a, like... Like a combo of you and Donkey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely not like a Donkey voice. Oh, God, that was I mean, like, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I was doing, like, an Eddie Murphy impression. I was wondering if you were. <laughs> no. No. It was more like you saying, improvising that. Yeah. That's also cool to be ad-libbing. It was a very, yeah, exciting time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel popular in middle school? Um, not in middle school. Uh, I, (laughs) I eventually, like, by the end of high school, I was like, I feel kind of popular, but still, like, I feel like a popular loser. (laughs) Because, like, I was doing, like, uh, in high school, I was doing improv in, uh, with this theater, like, in Philadelphia on the weekends. And then we had this, like, troupe that would go around and perform places. And I put on a show, like, on a Saturday night at my school and got, like, 50 people to come, which was, like, this feels great. Like, (laughs) uh, this feels like a huge success. Um, But at the same time, I also was, like, not in, like, the popular crowd. But so you had, like, a lot of friends and people thought you were cool, like, kind of cool for doing what you were doing. But without being yeah. in the popular crowd. Yeah, kind of. Or I think people just kind of, like, enjoyed... I don't know. I really think these chapel skits that I did, <laughs> people just liked them. Put you on the map. Yeah, they really made my uh, made my mark. Did you feel, back in middle school, did you feel not popular? Yes, for sure. Um, I, uh... But then again, I was also... Vice president of our class in eighth grade. But that doesn't speak to popularity. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, then, I was on student council. Oh, I mean, it speaks to the, the, the people <laughs> no, wanted no, no. you in power. Yeah. But it was, no, yeah, you're right. I was not cool. Um, yeah, I definitely felt like a big old loser, which was also because, like, I, I went to school with the same people from pre-K through senior year of high school. Like, we would get more people, but it was still, like, there was a core group that had been there the whole time. And, like, from, like, pre-K through eighth grade, I was, like, just a big old weirdo. Uh, And I had, like, the worst haircut and was just, like, this, like, scrawny little, like, gremlin. And I had a really deep voice. You did? Yeah. Um, Like, (laughs) can can you say at all how it sounded? It was a lot of, like, uh... Like, my mom tells the story of, like, coming home from first grade. Uh, I, uh, she put string cheese in my lunch and it had melted. And I came home and just walked in the front door and went, Mom, there was something disgusting in my lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how she impersonates it. (laughs) Like a weird, deep-voiced, almost Woody Allen. (laughs) Yeah. Like a very New York. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I had very, I think it was like more scratchy. Like it was more like, um, but yeah. Yeah. You sound like, like kind of an old Jewish New Yorker. Yeah. (laughs) Just like, oh, these subways are disgusting. This string cheese is gross. (laughs) Like not touching it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I felt like people in middle school, like could remember, me being, like, a weird gremlin. Uh, and then I really feel like it all turned around for me when I grew out my bangs. <laughs> and that did turn... So, what did that do for you, growing out your bangs? Oh, my gosh. So much more confidence. But, I mean, no. That's... That's misleading. <laughs> did that, like, begin your dating life, or...? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that was still a few more years to come. Uh, but I but you were getting, like, compliments? Like, what, what about it made you confident? I definitely felt, like, more adult, because I had bangs that literally started, like, at the top of, like, the crown of my head, and then came forward. Like, they were so thick and crazy, uh, and I wanted to grow them out for so long, and then I finally did, and I was like, I'm a teenager now, like, this is cool. Um, I'm trying to think, like, when I felt, I feel like sophomore year was when I started to feel, like, cool, um, which was also tragically when I like, had my first kiss and got a boyfriend. <laughs> so, that's sad to was think that, about. Was that that super Christian boyfriend? Yeah. He was not, uh, the, my first kiss was, like, this guy from the theater program that I did work with downtown. So he was, like, cool and, like, dangerous. Uh, but also, like, the biggest douchebag. Why was he dangerous? Because he, like, lived in the city. But, like, not... That does sound dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the city. Uh... But yeah, and he also, he had hooked up with this girl from my school who was, like, super cool, uh, and, like, she, uh, she was, like, super popular, really cool, she was, like, a badass, like, she was always getting in trouble, uh, so I was, like, if he hooked up with her and then I hooked up with him, I'm cool. (laughs) I was always doing that math. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I definitely, that made me feel, like, pretty cool, uh, Cause I, 
my two best friends growing up were like always like boys were just always chasing after them and I was like oh god damn it (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it was like so cool that it was like oh well this guy used to date Morgan Woodward and she's the coolest girl in school uh so that was very clout went way up yeah oh my gosh at least in my head (laughs) um but uh then he turned out to be like real crazy and then I, that also made me feel cool that I was, like, breaking things off with this guy. I was like, this guy can't come around anymore. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was, like, probably a couple months after that that uh, my super Christian first boyfriend, uh, who was a senior, asked me to prom. I was like, this is, now I'm really cool. He was I'm a senior and you were a sophomore? Yeah. Uh, so that was really exciting. And did you continue dating, like, after he graduated and went to college? Yeah. Uh, we dated for, like, two years. Uh, so we dated my entire junior year of high school while he was in college. Because he went to a really small school that was, like, 90 minutes away, just in, like, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and that was the other thing that is, like, weird about my parents, is that they would, they had, like, no problem, like, letting me go and just, like, spend the weekend with, like, my college boyfriend. Um, although I do think that they did not realize that I was, like, sleeping in his dorm. Uh, but they never asked or anything and, like, didn't really care. That, that is interesting. Yeah, it's really weird. What was that relationship like? Was it a good relationship? Uh, my relationship with my super Christian boyfriend? Uh Uh, yeah. It was a good relationship. It was definitely, like, uh, I mean, he's a very nice guy. I feel like I'm making him sound horrible. Um. You're making him sound horrible? You said? Yeah. All you've said about him is that he's super Christian. (laughs) (laughs) And people can draw from that whatever they want. Um, Yeah, he was really nice. But he was like, uh, he was also like the funny guy. Um, And that was my first experience of being like, hey, I'm like, I'm funny too. Um, And do you think like objectively you were funnier than him? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, no competition. Yeah, I was like, this is outrageous. <laughs> I'm so much funnier than you are. Because, uh, yeah, he was, like, he was on, like, a short-form improv team in his college, and I would, like, go see them perform. I was like, I'm way better than all these losers. <laughs> but, and he would also, like, and I don't think he was doing this, like, consciously or maliciously, but he would sometimes, like, steal jokes of mine. Or, like, we would be going, we would be, like, driving somewhere, and we would be, like, uh, like laughing in the car on the way over there and then we would get there and he would like say all the funny things that I had said uh, whoa yeah and I was just like hey you're a loser <laughs> I did not say that um, but yeah that was like a very weird thing to be like confronted with uh, yeah dating a comedian <laughs> when did that end? that ended um, like right before my senior year. No, I think like two months into my senior year of high school. I think like October of my senior year. But yeah. That turned me off dating comedians, I think like possibly forever. Because <laughs> I, oh. I Or no, I have since then. Um, but yeah. It was a bad experience. Were you a super extracurricular high school student? Yeah. Um, I... All of like the chapel skits and stuff that I did... Uh, was through, we had this, like, council called Vestry 
that was in charge of like chapel, which was it was kind of like student council meets like a community service thing. Um, but I did that and that was like really intense. Uh, cause we had chapel like three times a week and we were like in charge of doing everything for it. Um, but that was how I got to like write all the skits and stuff. Um, but I also would have to give like chapel speeches, which were really crazy. Um, and I guess that was actually- What were those chapel speeches? Chapel speech. I'm not sure I, and remind me, what is chapel? It's a very weird. Uh, our chapel was like, you would go in and it was like a 45 minute like church service, um, where we would do it would be like two hymns and like a reading, and then there was a speech or a skit or like a Q and A or something. Like M Night Shyamalan went to my high school, so one time chapel was just like an M Night Shyamalan Q and A, um, but. Yeah, so if you were giving a chapel speech, you would just, uh, we had themes for the year, so you would give a speech, like, loosely related to that theme. So, like, one of our themes was, like, god damn it, it was, like, risk, it was three things, it was, like, risk, resilience, and I want to say reward, but it's not reward, (laughs) but it was a third R, or, like, you know, it would be, like, charity or something like that. Um, so we'd get people, they would be, like, either people from our school or, like, people from the community, uh, who would give speeches, and the ones that I gave, because, like, I had to give a lot, and they were always, like, about, like, I don't know, I would, like, try to make them funny, and I don't really remember what they were about, but I remember, like, at the end, you would have to shoehorn in, like, a thing of, like, how it relates to God, um, so... I would always have to write, like, a one last paragraph where I'd be like, and then, you know, <laughs> God would probably like this, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was, like, this really weird thing where it was, like, assembly, but with, like, hymns and readings. Um, and then sometimes you would do skits there that, were, that had nothing to do with anything. A comedy training ground. Yeah. Where you always had to shoehorn God in. Yeah. That really was it, because, like, also in the chapel skits that I wrote, they also had to include, like, a line about God. So I remember there was one where, like, we were, there were, like, two of us who were, like, safety police or something, and we were, like, really ineffective, and, um, we were, like, bike cops, basically. Um, and I remember very distinctly, like, running in, uh, and it was like our third entrance and every each one of them been getting like clumsier and clumsier and so we like run in we're like trip and fall or whatever and we stand up and it was like you know people were laughing and then the line right after that was like well you know what it's easy to fall when you know god will catch you <laughs> <laughs> like we just had to put in weird kind of stuff um, but yeah it's easy to <laughs> I'm trying to even wrap my head around that yeah. moral. Yeah, I don't know. As like, it even makes sense as a moral, or even as a good moral. Failing is yeah. more permissible. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe that was like a risk, a risk theme. Yeah. Sentence. Yeah. Right. Right. That's cool. Yeah. It's easy to do. I don't know. Jump off a cliff, cause God will catch you. Were you feeling like you were going to, like, do comedy as a career in high school? Yeah. And I remember thinking, uh, I remember having the thought 
that it would be, uh, that it was possible to get on Saturday Night Live because there were more people who wanted to be, like, dramatic actors and movie stars than wanted to be comedians. <laughs> I was like, it'll be, like, <laughs> nobody, who else wants to be on Saturday Night Live as their end goal? Your odds are great. <laughs> yeah, the odds are stacked in your favor. Um, and then I chose to go to Northwestern so that I could be close to Chicago, like, for improv stuff. And then that blew my theory out of the water. Where I was like, oh, everyone wants to be on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> this is horrible. But you have, like, tested for Saturday Night Live yeah. since then. <laughs> That's true. That's absurd. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was so crazy. That's just, like, you, maybe you were exactly right. Yeah. No, you were not right. But your, your optimism brought you very far. Yeah. Um, um, we can come back to that yeah. later. So cool thinking to go to Northwestern to be around Second City and stuff. Yeah. Um, did did you get to do a lot of that stuff when you were in Northwestern? I wound up not doing any of that stuff. Feels uh, like Evanston is too far away from. Yeah, I mean it's. Or or it's not. Is it's it? not, but it feels yeah. If when you're in Evanston, going to Chicago feels crazy. <laughs> But really, it takes the amount of time that it would take you to, like, go to Burbank. Uh, it's, like, so close. Um, but we also... Northwestern has, like, a really amazing improv program just for free, like, at Northwestern. Um, that's run by this guy who did, like, IO and Second City and stuff. And started, like, a really awesome program there. And so that's what I did. And then we would sometimes, occasionally, like, go perform in Chicago. Um, just at, like, indie shows or stuff. Um... But then we also did, like, a college improv tournament that was put on by, I think, I.O. So we got to perform at I.O. through that a couple times. So there was, like, some crossover, but I didn't, like, officially do, like, I.O. or Second City courses or anything. Um, But you got, like, sort of I.O. training. Yeah. Um, Because it was cool because we had, like, it was a long-form improv group, and every year they would make a new team... Um, but it wasn't necessarily all freshmen, but it was, like, the freshman team. So you had a team that you were together, um, for four years until the last people had graduated. So the team that I was on, uh, there were four, or there were five freshmen and then, like, a sophomore and three juniors. There were nine, yeah, nine of us. And then one, like, transferred out and then people graduated so by the time we got to our senior year there were like four of us that had been performing together for four years and that was like the senior team so it was like a cool system that kind of like no the juniors that were getting on this team had they been like auditioning for a while and this was the time they finally got on yeah Uh, and and you were just like you got on in your freshman year yeah from being just good uh yeah 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 Because I think they also, I mean, they did also try to give it, like, a majority of, like, younger people so that, like, you're sticking around together for a while. Cool. Um, but yeah, but the older people, yeah, auditioned previously. Do I know any of the people that were on your team? Uh, so Jess McKenna was on the team a year ahead of me. Um, but yeah, and now she and I are performing together. We also did, um, there was, like, a short-form sketch group. Uh, and so we were on that for a year together. That's crazy that together. you met her then and yeah. now do new money together. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, yeah, we performed together so much for so long. 
Um, did you really like college? Yeah, I loved college. Uh, it was awesome. I feel like um, Northwestern like helped me so much. Like their, um, which is weird. I don't know. It's very strange. But like they had an amazing writing program that like I really think that's the reason why like I've managed to have a writing career because like they really teach you everything and they're very um like real world oriented where they like teach you how the business works and they teach you like um kind of like how to make your career happen um and I just like loved uh the community and like it was so fun there's so much stuff to do uh, everyone was, like, really passionate about what they wanted to be doing and just, like, learned a lot. And it was really great. Were they completely right about how the business worked? Yeah, kind of. I mean, my, um, I did a writing program that was, like, uh, it was a two-year program that every, we were a quarter system, so every quarter it was a different type of media writing. So we did, like, screenwriting, like, for features. We wrote, like, a spec episode of TV um, we wrote a play and we did like revisions and then there was one that was like kind of like revision industry class and that class was taught by um, this woman Regina Stewart who was like the executive producer of Dharma and Greg and so she was like here's how like a TV writer's room works like uh, like here's what is important to succeed and that's definitely like turned out to be true it was all about how like it's really important like how you are in a room like it's really important that you're like someone that people want to see at 4 a.m um like it's really important that you can take notes and stuff and it was like yeah that has all been proven to me <laughs> um but yeah it was that's crazy. A, that program sounds so good yeah it's i incredible. wish i had had something like yeah. that it was amazing they got rid of it uh recently which is yeah I think they wanted to make it, because it was, like, a little shitty, because only, like, 12 people got into that, and then they were together for two years, and so it kind of, like, they wanted to open up more writing classes to more people, because it would be hard to, like, that sucks up a lot of, like, the mm -hmm. writing course. How'd you get in? Uh, you had to submit a 10-page writing sample, and I can't remember what I submitted. Oh, it was the opening scene of a play that I had written. You had to, yeah, it was like a 10 page writing sample and then an essay about why you wanted to do it and like what your career goals were. Do you remember the first thing that you wrote that you were like, oh, this is actually pretty good or that you like, you would even look back now and feel proud of? Yeah. Um, I wrote a play my sophomore year or freshman year of college. Um, and there was a theater board that was like, uh, that just put on student written stuff. And so I pitched it to them. Uh, I was on the board also. <laughs> but they uh, they were like, yeah, we're going to produce it. And so they did it in the fall of uh, my sophomore year. And I remember being like, I'm like proud of this. <laughs> uh, which was like a really cool feeling. What was the play about? It was, uh, it was about a little girl uh, in like kind of a... It was set in, like, Victorian England, <laughs> where it was, like, very, like... Do you know Edward Gorey? Yeah. That artist? It was, like, that kind of aesthetic. And it was a little girl who, uh... She was, like, from an aristocratic family, and she, uh... 
would tell all these lies, and then one day a witch puts a spell on her and all the lies come true. Uh, it's basically the plot of the film Bedtime Stories, but that came out a couple of years after. <laughs> um, oh, so you, they stole it from you. Yeah, Bedtime Stories stole my, uh, stole my plan. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like this dark, like, uh, children's story where in the end it turns out that this guy that's been narrating the thing all along is like a, (laughs) so messed up, he's a murderer, uh, and you find out he's writing this story as he has written other stories that have been referenced in the play, uh, just about all the kids that he's killed and how he killed them. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you feel like you have like a personal aesthetic, like to, like what you write or like there tends to be trends to like when you're like writing (laughs) original pilots or plays um i don't know i definitely think i have like yeah like a voice but i don't really know i mean like does magic pop up a lot in it like it did in that play or or does like um (laughs) like edward gory is like a little bit um like Adam's family ish. Yeah. Right? Does that pop up? Kinda. Yeah, I think there's like a I definitely think there's a difference between when I was writing plays and were I to go back to writing plays and what I write for like T V and stuff. I feel like when I write T V and movies it's very it's much like sillier. Um and there's like kind of a streak of absurdness to it, but it's like very like silly. And then for plays, like I definitely go like way darker uh yeah yeah I don't know where does that darkness come from I don't know I feel like probably um (laughs) the the scream Halloween story um yeah (laughs) yeah I don't know right you saw scream in fifth grade and it ruined your brain yeah um yeah I don't know I definitely was not like uh like, a happy kid. Like, I was very much, like, I loved just, like, being alone and, like, watching TV and then writing. Uh, So I feel like something in that, like, uh, yeah, kind of, like, stuck with me. Not that I was, like, necessarily, like, unhappy, but I was just, like, very, like, I like being alone and, like, (laughs) not being bothered. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Were you just, like, do you think brooding or, um, yeah, maybe. Like, like, do you remember what like the inside of your brain looked like or like what made you want to be alone or like, and, and did you feel lonely or you were just like happy being by yourself? <laughs> I don't know. I definitely, I don't think, I don't remember like feeling lonely as a kid. Um, there were definitely some times in like high school where I felt lonely. Actually, I don't know. But yeah, I just, I liked, I don't know. It's almost as if I had this, like, uh, like, you know when people are like, I'm an artist, like, I need to be alone, like, I'm a mad artist. It's almost like I had that as a kid, but without being, like, able to articulate that. But I just, like, loved, like, um, I don't know, like, when I was in, I guess, like, sixth and seventh grade like I was obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh and just like loved watching Buffy and then like I would write like my own vampire stories um and yeah it's weird because I like had friends and I would like do stuff but um there were definitely like weekends where I was like I'm just gonna stay home and like 
Right. And I remember when I got into high school and was, like, being more, like, socially active, I remember being like, oh, man, I haven't, like, just sat down and written for a really long time. Like, I used to do that. And then I would try and do that, and, like, it wouldn't be as productive, and then I would feel bad, and then I would be like, I'm not a writer anymore. (laughs) Does that feel appealing to you now, like, to go to, like, a snowy cabin for, like, a month by yourself and just write there? I've definitely thought about doing it, and I've never pulled the trigger on it, uh, which I don't know if that's just, like, me being lazy or me being, like, I don't actually want to do that. Um, But I did, like, I went to Vietnam by myself, uh, and I was, like, really excited for, like, I'm going somewhere by myself. It's going to be awesome. And then I was, like, with a tour group the whole time, and I wasn't alone that much. Uh, And I was a little bit, like... I was torn on whether or not that wound up being, like, a good thing or a bad thing. I think I probably wouldn't have enjoyed two weeks alone. But maybe, like, a long weekend in a snowy But part of you craves it. Yeah. Um, And when I got back from Vietnam, I definitely was like, what if I just, like, drove (laughs) to, like, Big Sur and got, like, a weird bungalow somewhere and wrote a movie (laughs) in a month? Um, But, yeah, there's definitely a part of me that wants to do that. Yeah. But I don't know if I ever will. I also feel like I would that would drive me insane. Huh. I don't know. So you moved out to LA in 2010? Yeah. And was did you always know it was going to be LA next? Yeah, I kind of I my sophomore year of college, the summer after I interned out here, and after that I was like I got to be there. Where'd you intern? Um, I interned at Comedy Central and uh, Kerner Entertainment. I forget what it's actually what the full name is, but it's Kerner Production Company. They made the Smurfs. Wow, that's a big deal. It was a really big deal. That uh, yeah, it was uh, crazy. Um, that summer, I was at Comedy Central on Tuesday, Thursday, and then I was at Kerner Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And every time I was at Kerner, I was just reading and watching every Smurfs book and cartoon to create a database for the screenwriters of, like, all the magic that was introduced, like, all the, any props, like, any secondary Smurfs, like, all this crazy stuff. That's crazy how well-versed you are in Smurfs now. Yeah, although I don't know if I remember really any of it. I remember, like, all the, um, like, really fucked up parts, like, the racist and the sexist parts before they were Americanized. What what are those? Um, there's one story where, uh... The, um, I forget, I think it's an evil bear, like a poisonous berry, the Smurfs eat, and it turns them black, and they become really lazy, and like, stop working, and their whole society, uh, goes to shit, because they're all black Smurfs. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Uh, they did the same story for, like, the American cartoon version, but they changed it so that they turned purple. Oh, well, now, now that's... So now it's fine. I'm gonna show that to my kids. Yeah, yeah, I mean, kids can watch that. Um, and then in the original book, uh, when Smurfette appears, Gargamel makes Smurfette, and she's really ugly, and he sends her into the Smurf village to, like, distract them, but she's so ugly that no one will talk to her, and they're just like, oh, you're annoying, get out of here, you big ugly loser, and then she cries, and Papa Smurf is like, I'll make you a real Smurf. And so then he makes her into the super hot version of Smurfette. And then everyone gets so distracted by her beauty that, like, they break their dam and their whole village floods. And she's like, you're right, I ruined your place. <laughs> like, I'll leave. And Smurfette just leaves. And I don't think ever comes back. 
Is that something that happened in the Bible? Yeah. Is that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, kind of? Or Lot's wife or something? Is it? I don't know. I also don't know anything about the Bible. <laughs> okay. After all, all... Yeah, none of it stuck. <laughs> Slightly more stuck about the Smurfs. Yeah, exactly. All the Smurf knowledge is there. Old Testament, no, 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 no. You were doing that, like, for the people writing the Smurf movies or yeah. Smurf TV shows? The Smurf, the, uh, yeah, the screenplay for the Smurfs, the movie, the Neil Patrick. So you kind of had your influence on that. Yeah. You know, if they used uh, Vanity's, like, Enchanted Mirror, i put that in the database. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah. What was your internship with Comedy Central like? That was just, like, very much, like, an office assistant thing. Um, I was working... I, like, wanted to be working in development, but uh, I applied for the internship, like, after they had already picked everyone, so they were like, you can come work in production, um, which was much more, like, office-y, administrative-y stuff. Um, I mean, the development side, the interns are doing all that same stuff, too. But uh, the guy that was the VP... or maybe president of production at the time, was a Northwestern guy, and he was great. Um, and at the end of my internship, he was like, uh, he sat down with me and was like, what do you want to do? Um, like, how can I help you? What advice can I give you? And I was like, I want to be a TV writer and a comedian. And he was like, okay, great. You just have to move out here when you're done and uh, try and get a PA job and be a writer's assistant. I was like, okay, great. Uh, so then after that, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And is that exactly what you did? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I moved out here and emailed everyone that I had worked with and uh, everyone that I knew being like, I'm looking for any assistant job. And then uh, I like babysat for a little while and then, but it was like a month or two after I moved here that a girl who had been my supervisor at Comedy Central emailed me being like, my fiance is working on a show and they need a writer's PA. Uh, and I interviewed with them and then started that job like two weeks later. What was that show? Job. Dropped a diva on Lifetime. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. very fast to be, like, launched right in. It was amazing. Like, it, like, I was aware at the time of how crazy that was, but looking back on it, it's like, no, that's actually, like, way more insane than you even realize. Because a writer's PA is, like, the perfect job that you want to get. It's if, perfect. Yeah, it's, like, absolutely perfect. PA and, job, maybe a little bit tricky to get. Yeah. And writer's PA job... It's, oh, you hit the jackpot. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Like, you're just, like, hanging out with them. And this job in particular was great because the production was in Atlanta. So it was just the writer's offices. And uh, so there was, like, not a ton to do. So I had a lot of downtime so I could be, like, writing stuff. And uh, then just, like, hanging out with the writers and getting to know them. It was great. Um, but then I left that job and my resume from then on uh, even though I was, like, advancing, uh, on paper it looks like I just got demoted and then demoted and then demoted because I left that job to go be a, just a production PA on Big Bang Theory because I was like, I want to be working on sitcoms so this will be closer to what I want to do even though the job is slightly worse. Uh, so then I worked on Big Bang for a year and that was, like, the most fun ever. And then while I was there, I got my manager... And then I was like, well, now I'm just going to uh, quit this so that I have time to, like, do my own stuff. How'd you get that manager? Um, I, my 301 grad show at UCB 
there was randomly a casting director and a VP of like film from Warner Brothers there. Uh, I would have said, <laughs> oh, because they had they knew people in the class. Yeah. Because I would have told if somebody said like, <laughs> does industry ever come to those grad shows? I would have told you definitely not. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. It's insane. But in that context, there. yeah. Yeah. Um. So they were there, and then we talked afterwards. We like went. My whole class like went to La Poubelle, and we exchanged information. And they tried to set me up with an agent at WME, and I was like meeting with people there. And then they eventually were like, "We can't sign you. You're in, like nothing." Um, <laughs> but then, like four months after that, the casting director just out of the blue emailed me and was like, "I'm casting this pilot, and I want you to come in to read for one of the parts." And then I wound up testing for that pilot. Um, so I was like in the final four for it and I had no representation, but Dave Becky, who's my manager now was one of the EPs on the pilot. And so he was like, I'll represent you. I was like, great. Um, and that was like going into, that was as big bang was winding down. So I was about to have a month hiatus anyway. And I was like, I'm just gonna keep this hiatus forever. And then, uh, to keep myself busy after Big Bang, I started working part-time for Sasha Baron Cohen's production company. So then I became just like a paid intern. So I went from writer's PA to production PA to just paid intern, even though I was like doing better. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, crazy stuff down. Yeah. (laughs) But all makes sense. Yeah. And in the meantime, you were going through classes at UCB and doing stand-up? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I had started stand-up by then. Um, yeah, and then I just, like, yeah, finished up at UCB, and I think I had only just started stand-up, though. Um, but yeah, I was doing all that at the time, at the same time as you. <laughs> uh, how, what was your, like, lowest point in these, like, or did you have, like, because it sounds like you, you pretty much went from job to job to job, but yeah. did you have any moment of being, like, oh... I'm worried this might not work out. Yeah, I definitely, when I quit Big Bang, I was, like, really scared. Uh, And I was, like, very fine. Like, I was fine to just, like, go get, like, a waitress job and just, like, uh, do whatever for money. Um, (laughs) Literally, whatever. (laughs) Jen, no. (laughs) Uh, But I remember, like, after, there was, like, a month right when I quit Big Bang, where I was, like, having trouble even getting, like, a waitressing job, and then I was like, oh, no, like, this is is a big mistake, um, and, yeah, it's, like, really hard to think back on that time, because I can't even remember how long it actually was, um, but I was also, like, interning at UCB at the time, so I was, like, keeping myself busy, um, but, yeah, there was definitely an uneasiness because I also had given myself, like, a weird timeline where I would go back to Big Bang Theory uh, at for the next season. So I was like, I'm going to sit out one season cycle. So, like, when I started getting halfway through that season, I still had nothing. I was like, I'm going to have to, like, crawl back and be like, please, can I come work for you again? And everyone's going to be like, oh, how'd your, uh, your, like, stint as an actress and comedian go? Um, they would not have been like that. They were really nice. But, uh... Yeah, I was definitely worried that I was going to have to go back. Grappling. <laughs> <laughs> so how did... 
you end up getting staffed on Cougar Town was your first job? Yeah. And how did that happen? Um, well, I actually, I did a two-week writer's room for uh, Goal and the Insatiable, which is like an ADHD Fox thing. Um, and that was just through like stand-up. Um, so then talk, tell about that. How, yeah. how did you get that job through stand-up? You, yeah. you started doing stand-up, and what was your stand-up life like? Um, my stand-up life was, uh, very, like, uh, sporadic, where I kind of, like, when I signed with my manager, I think they, I had kind of just started doing stand-up, and they thought that I had been doing stand-up for a really long time, and I was in a place where I was, like, and I still kind of have this attitude where I'm, like, I'll never say no to anything, like, I'll just say yes and then figure it out. And they were like, we put you up for this, like, Fresh Faces thing at the Laugh Factory where you're going to perform. It's, like, a competition where you perform at the Laugh Factory and then there's, like, an online vote and then you can, like, come back or whatever. Uh, and I was, like, definitely not ready to do that. But I was like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did it. And it went, like, well enough. Like, no one's going to see that and be like, that's an amazing stand-up. But I had, like, enough jokes that it was, like, you could tell that I was, like, a funny writer, I think. Um, cause, uh, there was a guy from ADHD just in the audience and he brought me in for a meeting and they were staffing up like a ton of their shows. They were starting like four shows at the same time. Um, and they just hired me to do this like two week thing where it was just like breaking stories. Um, and I feel like they were on the, I remember I had like three meetings with them, uh, where I could, like, tell that they liked me, but I think they were a little bit, like, she's very green. Um, but, yeah, they eventually... What do you think showed that you were green? Just, I think, like, they would be like, so have you ever been in a writer's room before? And my answer was literally, like, uh, no, but, you know, I was a PA, so I was, like, around them, which is <laughs> not a good answer. <laughs> um, it's I've read better the... to just be like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've read books about them. <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely seemed, like, super, uh, like, eager and, uh, like, I didn't know what I was doing. But then that, uh, that room was great, and they were, like, it was very chill and, like, very easy, um, and that kind of, like, gave me the confidence and to, like, feel like I could be in a writer's room. Uh, so then when I had my meeting for Cougar Town, it was, like, amazing to be able to be like, oh, I've been in one, yeah, and this is what, like, uh, so I felt more ready. Um, but yeah, Cougar Town was just through my agent, like, submitting my pilot sample. Awesome. Yeah. And what was it like working on Cougar Town? Cougar Town was, like, the best job ever. Um, it was so amazing. The guy that runs the show is just incredible. Um, he really... Like, the room was super fun and very laid back, um, and it was great. And there were other people, um, I came on for season five, and there were two other, there was a writing team that was new, so the three of us were, like, the new people, um, and they were older writers who'd been on, like, a bunch of other shows, and they would make all these jokes of, like, this is the best job we've ever had, like, this is the best staffing experience ever. And then they would be like, it's all downhill from here to me. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Uh, and then I was like, oh, man, what if it is? Because uh, everyone there was, like, really amazing. Um, I mean, the Millers was really amazing, too. So I would not say it's all been downhill. 
Uh, but yeah, Cougar Town was so fun. So what were like your jobs working in a writer's room <laughs> to somebody who hasn't been there yet? Like, um, how much were you like, did, did you have an episode that you like wrote the first draft of all yourself and like, or like what was the balance between that and like, write, uh, like pitching with people and like doing stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, so in the room, at least like how Cougar Town and the Millers kind of were, was like you, everyone's kind of like all in it together. So when you're in the room, like pitching, I mean, more senior people will be like leading the discussion and stuff, but there's no sense of like you as a staff writer have like a different responsibility than anybody else. It's like, you're just there breaking the story, um, with everyone. And then, yeah, for Cougar Town, um, people were assigned an episode. So I had episode nine because they went in order of, like, rank. Uh, and so I had episode nine. So I took the story that we had all broken together and, like, a full outline and then went and wrote a draft of it and then brought it back in. And then, uh, yeah, everyone read the writer's draft and then the showrunner just, like, goes through and is like, I think we can beat this joke or, like, this scene I think should be restructured this way and just gives notes and then people will split up that work and split into, like, two or three rooms and rewrite it. Um, and then when you're in the rewrite process, it's a lot of, yeah, just, like, pitching jokes to beat jokes that they had written or, uh, like, yeah, restructuring a scene is always, like, that's the tricky work that nobody likes doing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. That's kind of how it's like. Where, where do you think you shine in a room like that? Um, I don't know. I feel like, um, I feel like I'm probably stronger at jokes, uh, than anything else, but, um. When you're working on the Millers, it sounded like you got, like, special credit for, like, working on, like, a number of alt jokes that, like, could be used in scenes. Yeah, well, that was, um, yeah, that, it's weird, because, like, with a multicam, um, more so than a single cam, since, like, your audience is right there, you can immediately tell what jokes are falling flat. So, for the Millers, it was, like, on, uh, the weekends before tape nights, we would, like, try to come up with extra jokes on the off chance that, like, jokes were gonna fail. Um just to, like, have... So to take the pressure off of, like, having to pitch on the fly and be like, ah, okay, there's, like, a hundred people waiting for us to get done with the scene and we have to, like, write another joke. Um, so, yeah, there was, like, that... Uh, that, like, kind of extra job of, like, uh, writing different jokes, which is very much like a multi-cam thing. Because for single cam, it's, like, you pick what you think is funny and then you're just going to shoot it. Um... But for multi-cam, you have to, like, factor in the audience part of it. It's cool to just have that confidence to know that, like, you can do jokes really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely... I mean, there are obviously, like, always times where you're like, I can't write anything, and <laughs> my story sense is all broken, and I haven't written a funny joke in weeks. Um, but it was, like... It definitely was cool to know, like, after the Millers, being like, okay, none of these people knew me before either, uh, and now they seem to like me and think I'm funny. So, like, that's good to know. Yeah, you're like, just, one your network another. is growing. Yeah. 
Because um, I definitely, I remember when Cougar Town ended, I was like, what if, like, no one will ever hire me or like me or think I'm funny ever again? Uh, it's, like, always so scary when the job ends. Have there been moments in either of those rooms where you felt like, what am I doing here? Or Yeah, definitely. Um, I always, like, I get jealous of people with writing partners. Because uh, I'm like, well, you have someone that you can, like, talk to at the end of the day and be like, was it weird? Like, did I do something weird? Did I say the wrong thing? Because um, there's definitely moments where, like, I don't know, you can just, like, get so in your head about, like, the dumbest little thing, and then you can, if you're not, like, taking care of yourself, you can just spiral out into, like, well, everyone hates me, and <laughs> I'm a big old loser. You just made me really want a writing partner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm always, like, and on the first day of a job, and, like, you don't know anybody, and a writing partner, like, a writing team is there, and you're like, god damn it, you, like, have a friend already. It really made me want a writing partner. <laughs> But then you have to split your money, and that's no fun. So that sucks. I don't need much money. Yeah. Still a good amount of money. <laughs> we should just get ready for it. <laughs> Can you talk about what it was like to test for Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Oh, yeah. Where, like, where did it... How did it happen for you? And then what was it like? Um, It was... They saw me... I did Montreal. Uh, just for just laughs? Just for laughs, Yeah as a stand-up, and they saw me there, um, and so I got a call, like, the next week that, uh, they wanted to bring me to New York to test for it, which was insane, because I literally, at Cougar Town, like, the year before, when SNL stuff was happening, I was, like, I told my friend who had, uh, tested for SNL, um, I was, like, I've kind of just, like, come to terms with the fact, and it, with the fact and accepted that I'll just never be on Saturday Night Live. And she was like, it seems like you're a little young to be making such, like, a depressing declaration. <laughs> um, but I thought I was being realistic, because I was like, there's a ton of female cast members on there now. Um, and, like, hopefully by the time that they're hiring people again, like, I'll either be doing something else, which was really just a kind of a guarded way for me to be like, I'll be too old. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it was insane to be like, oh, they want me to go there? Like, I thought I would literally never do that. Um, and I was at the Millers at the time, and I had just taken off, like, five days to go to Montreal, so I felt super weird asking for, like, two days off to go to New York. Um, yeah, with the best excuse in the world, but, like, yeah, still. It was still really stressful. And You're, like, job hunting yeah. while you have a cool job you really want. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this job is so amazing. I'm very grateful for it, but can I please go try to get this other really <laughs> awesome job? Um, the but my one boss, that I've been dreaming about. Yeah, since I was a child. Um, but I was so nervous about it, but my boss was immediately like, you have to go, of course. That's amazing. Like, that's great. And so he was really cool. That's great. Um... But yeah, so I flew uh, flew to New York. Um, I was in the same row. I was like sitting with Allison Rich and Marcus Ray, who also tested. Um, and so we were just like talking about it for a while. And uh, then I, to shut my brain off, I had bought um, Courtney Robertson's tell-all book. She was a bachelor person. <laughs> um, she's like the most hated uh, bachelor contestant of all time and she wrote this like autobiography and I was like this is the perfect garbage to like not think about yeah <laughs> um so I read that entire book cover to cover for the rest of the flight um 
And then, yeah, you get to, uh, we got to New York on Tuesday night and the test was on Wednesday. And so there's like this weird feeling of like, well, uh, gotta just like go to bed and wake up and do this crazy thing. (laughs) Um, but luckily like, could you go to bed or like were you laying in bed? No, I went to, which is crazy. Yeah. I would think that I would not have been able, the whole time that I was there, it felt like I was in like, I had very successfully convinced myself that this like did not matter and that this was like already a cool thing and that like nothing would come from it, that this was it, like this was all I was doing and so it was just going to be like fun and crazy, Um, which is insane because I'm like a very nervous person all the time, but I somehow just like tricked my brain into thinking that I was not nervous and convinced myself that it was true. Um, I think because I read... The night before I left, I read uh, Split Cider has a series where they interview people who tested Resinel but didn't make it. So I read all of theirs, and I was like, okay, this is great company to be in. Like, this is fine. Yeah. Um, and then I also read, like, a Vanity Fair article about people who had been on SNL talking about testing for it. So I felt, like, very, like, covered. Um, like, I knew what to expect and stuff. Were you... Like, there with characters, or were you going to be doing stand-up for them? Um, I was going to be doing stand-up, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so I found out that I was testing, and I was like, shit, I gotta come up with something to do. And so I emailed... I gotta learn how to juggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gotta learn how to just, like, blow fire in my mouth. Um, I emailed Mike Still, uh, being like, can I do five minutes at Star Punch, please? Uh, and he was like, yeah. Um, and so I just, like, spent two days, like, coming up with characters, uh, and we were literally, like, at Miller, at the Millers, like, on, over lunch, people would be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, is this funny? And they'd be like, yeah. Um, (laughs) so I came up with five minutes of characters. I was so nervous, especially, like, about to go on to Star Punch, I was terrified, because people had found out that I was testing, um, and I, like, didn't want to tell people, but... Uh, Nicole Byer was like, if you're doing characters this time of year, like, people just know. I was like, okay. Um, but, uh, I was terrified because I was like, people know that I'm testing, so if I go up and I bomb, it has the added thing of, like, people being like, well, good luck in New York. (laughs) Um, so I was, like, literally, like, sweating. I had written my, like, set list on my hand and I sweated off, like, I was a mess. Um, and then Star Punch went, like, really well. So then right afterwards, I walked off stage. I was, like, in, like, on such a high of, like, this is great. I feel really ready. And my manager was in the audience, and she came back, and she was, like, okay, so we talked to them (laughs) right before, uh, you went on, and they want you to do exactly what you did in Montreal, so you're just gonna be doing (laughs) stand-up. So I was, like, okay, great. (laughs) Uh. This will all be a secret. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I wound up working in two of those characters, like, into my stand-up routine. But then it was annoying, because then I was, like, doing a mad scramble to get on stand-up shows to practice my stand-up set. That is annoying. There. Um, but people were really nice, and some people put me up, which was great. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at this point, do you want to, like, be an actor just as much as you want to be a writer? Yeah, I, um... I feel like now uh, is the first time in my life where I've, like, really thought about that. Um, 
because I've always been like, yeah, I'm pursuing both like equally and like whatever um, wins out is the one that I do until that's over and then I try again. Um, but I this like bout of unemployment since the Millers ended has been like real weird. Uh, and it's the first time where I'm like, maybe I don't actually want to be an actor because it's like really excruciating. <laughs> Why is it been weird? Um, I think because I... Um, I thought when it got canceled, it was so sudden, like no one thought that was going to happen at all. And then I was like, okay, well, it's about to be pilot season. So I at least have that, that I can like focus on, um, rather than just kind of like waiting until staffing season happens again. Um, but then pilot season has been super slow. I don't know if it's for everyone or just for me. And that feeling of like not having any control, just kind of like waiting around for something that you're maybe right for to maybe call you in, to go in, to like maybe get a call. You know, like there's so many things that, there's so many variables. Yeah, and that feels terrible. And yeah. especially after like your experience, like you you tested for that other show yeah. without like doing many auditions, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I also... Um, my first two pilot seasons, I guess, uh, I mean, the first one was when I tested for the pilot that I then got my manager. So that was like the first audition I'd ever gone on. So that wasn't like a full pilot season. But then the next pilot season, when I had like my agent and my manager, I was like all excited. And then I went out like a kind of a decent amount and I wound up testing for mixology and then that didn't turn out. But I was like, this is great. Like I am like two for two, like this is amazing. Um, and then last pilot season was like nothing. Like I went out like maybe three times. Uh, and then so far now it's been like nothing. So it feels like, uh, like, yeah, I don't know. Like I always knew that that streak of like testing for two things, like didn't mean anything and like, wasn't like anything to get excited about. Cause it's like, that's just part of it. But it's weird to be confronted with the reality of, like, oh, no, you did actually let that get to your head a little bit, and now that's why this feels a little bit worse. It definitely means something and a lot. Like, it's it's very indicative of, like, what the future might hold. Yeah, it's definitely, like, it's an accomplishment, but it's not, like, as big of an as big an accomplishment as it can feel like when yeah. it's happening, when it's, like, yeah, I don't know. It's, like, such a weird thing. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely made me think about, like, well, with writing, like, you ha I mean, it's, there's still a lot of stuff that's out of your control, but you at least can, like, work on something and, like, make it as good as you can make it, and then, uh, like, do stuff with it. Like, yeah, it's not just... How much are you having to hustle as, like, a writer right now, like, or, like, are working on projects to, like, try to sell and stuff? Um, I'm working on a feature right now, um, to try and, yeah, sell that. Um, but, uh, and I've just recently have been like, should I be writing, like, more TV samples? <laughs> um, because, yeah, it's really hard to tell. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, difficult. What's your biggest hope for where you might be in, like, five years from now? Um... That's a really good question. I am, I'm horrible at uh, five-year goals because I literally, like, 
like when I interviewed for my job at Big Bang, the uh, line producer was like, what's your five year plan? And I said to be a showrunner of my own show and they like openly laughed in my face and I was like, yes, I understand that's like a ridiculous goal for five years from now, but that's just like the next thing that I want to do. Um, so that's just like what I'll work at until it happens. Um, so yeah, I mean definitely like, yeah, like having my own show would be amazing. Like a... You have uh, a show with two seasons on Netflix? Yeah, exactly. My two season <laughs> Netflix deal. Uh, that it gave up the miracle of flight for. Um, so yeah, I guess that. Um, and any thought on like what kind of show it might be, or like, or or like a kind of show like right now, like watching Transparent. Have you watched that at all? I haven't. No, I haven't seen it. Yet. But for me, like I watch that and I go like, oh, I'd like to create a show like that. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah, I kind of. I feel like Veep is that for me. I'm like, this is amazing, and I want to do something like this. Um, And I sometimes get that feeling with Broad City, too, but I feel like when I watch Broad City, that's, like, the one show where I can, like, fully enjoy it without, like, uh, thinking about, like, what went into it, because it's, like, so unique to them, and I'm like, I can never make anything like that. But, like, I don't know. Would would the absolute dream be you acting in a show that you create yeah um yeah that's the absolute dream um i think that's like kind of what i'm learning now is like uh i'm not i not so much like an actor now i feel like i'm more like a writer who will write stuff for myself like i don't know i feel like uh yeah i don't know (laughs) And any like life things that you would have liked to happen five years from now? Yeah. Oh man, that's the big question. Do you want to have thirty-eight kids? Thirty-eight kids in five years. Um, Yeah, I do think about like uh, when I'll want to have had kids by. Such a big stress. Uh, Is that a thing you definitely want? Yeah. Um, And it's so weird to be like. Okay, well, I want to be, like, a young mom, but that means, like, having kids, like, kind of soon. It's so scary. Um, but, yeah, I guess in five years. And you could. Like, you're you're a writer on TV shows. Now might be <laughs> yeah, no. really peak. The best time. Uh, I should tell my boyfriend not to listen to this. <laughs> this episode is going to be really scary yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to listen to this in five years like a childless like <laughs> I don't even know what and I'm just like oh, what have you done um, but yeah I would think in five years I would want to have a kid I guess which is so crazy but I guess yeah I guess that's it <laughs> my mom was in her late 30s when she had me. So I'm a little bit like, okay, that gives you some time. <laughs> and in the short term, any hopes for new monies, <laughs> like final year of being a mod team? Um, oh man, I just hope that we do a, a lot of crazy weird stuff. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I just hope we do a bunch of those plays. I'm like excited about the play. Me too. It's, <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, do you have hopes for new monies last year? Yeah, I mean, just do we surprise ourselves? Yeah. Um, I feel, what, how long have you been on new money? Two years now? Three years. Two, two years. It feels like, yeah. I don't know, it feels so weird to be like a new member of an old team. That, well, I felt that way. Yeah. Um, coming on, well, I came on after they'd been around for a year, and already it, it like, it felt weird. Yeah. Um, like, as the only new member of the team. And, like, I definitely had, like, a lot of, like, yeah, a lot of, like, uh, conflict between, like, what would have been better to be on a new team, um, or, like, this team that is real is so cool. Yeah. But, like, it made me, like, gave me, like, a little bit more of a complex. Yeah, no, totally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels really crazy to be, like, everyone's so funny and they all know each other. <laughs> um... Yeah, but you yeah, don't. Like do you feel? Doing. Do you feel folded in? Yeah. Yet? Oh, or? totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just so funny, like for you to say, like, oh, to surprise ourselves. It's like everything is kind of still a surprise to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> on the team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm glad that I can do it. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and doing thank this. Thank you so much. This is great. Uh, I hope all your dreams come true. Thanks. And I hope you never fly. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to fly. For someone to feel something that you Thank you for listening to my interview with Jen D'Angelo. If you want to see some sketches that Jen has written, perform live, you should come see our sketch group, New Money. We go up the second Wednesday of every month at 8.30 p.m. at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles. Again, I hope you'll consider subscribing to the show or rating us on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments about the On The Cusp podcast, you can always email me at onthecusppod at gmail.com. Special thanks to Casey Trela and Hi-Ho Silvero for all the music in this episode, to my sound editor, Joe Burge, and to my producer, C.C. Pierce. This has been On the Cusp. Be-ne-ne, 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 be-ne-ne. That's your outro music. <laughs>